pray together. Lord, we acknowledge that you are good, and we give you thanks that you have called us to come into worship, that you've entered into our lives, into the busyness, into the challenges, to invite us to come and to pause before you, and to remember who you are. And Lord, as we gather, we remember the, the vision, how your word speaks of, of, our, of how you've made us and of your world. Uh, you've made us for deep connection with you and with others, with creation, even within ourselves. How uh, you've made us to receive help and to give it, to not walk in our, cell, our own ways, our own life, but to be connected, to share the abundance of creation. You call us to say that our life is about loving you and loving our neighbor. And so we remember these things, we rejoice and, and feel a sense of, of how we were made to be. Um, but Lord, we also lament. We lament because all around us we're reminded of deep divisions, 
and separations. Lord, even the events in Israel the last couple days remind us of a world that is deeply broken, marked not by connection, but by violence and hate. Lord, it's not just in that place, but throughout this world, throughout the globe, that we see all over the place, in each continent, uh, conflict, loss of life, people forced from their homes. Lord, we acknowledge these things and we lament before you. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring peace, that there would be a flowering of new life, a new song. But Lord, it's not just that we look outside of ourselves, around us, and see these brokenness, that we acknowledge that it's within us as well. Even today or this week, Lord, the ways that we have failed to see our neighbors as those made in your image, that we're marked with a spirit of hate or impatience rather than love and of graciousness. Our quickness to draw lines or to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt by accusing others. Lord, we see this deep brokenness. And again, we ask that by your spirit and by your grace, new life would be flowering in us, new life coming up in places of brokenness. We ask that you'd meet us in these realities, in our laments, in our longings, that you'd turn our heads to you, that we'd find hope in you this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this time, uh, children are dismissed. There's a children's worship class, but also the, a junior high class as well. So you'll see in the order uh, that children's worship is in the cafeteria, and the, the fifth through eighth grade classes in the teacher, old teacher's lounge. We're going to continue our, our time of worship through uh, confession and assurance. This is a chance, having gathered in God's presence, to remember that God is different from us and invites us to come with honesty to him, knowing that his grace in Christ is sufficient for us. So we'll do this together uh, through a prayer of confession and song, and then have a time of quiet personal confession. I invite you to join with me. From Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Lord, we will not be silent nor suggest we have no sin. With confidence in your forgiveness, we acknowledge our transgressions to you. Let us not cover ourselves, but know you as our hiding place. Your steadfast love surrounds those who trust in you. May we be glad and rejoice.
Let's take a moment of quiet. We can bring our own personal confession and need uh, to God in prayer. Lord, we give you thanks that you, you hear us when we pray. And thank you for the promise in Christ uh, that we can come to your throne of grace with confidence, not in what we have done or promised to do, but confidence in, in Christ and how his grace is sufficient. His grace is greater than our sin. We give you thanks. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I invite you to stand together. Having confessed our sins, it's good to hear words of assurance. And so these are from Psalm 32, verse 7. Invite, let's, let's read these together. The Lord is our hiding place. He preserves us from trouble and surrounds us with shouts of deliverance. Well, as Christ has welcomed us in his grace, let's turn to each other and welcome each other in the name of Christ.
The New Testament lesson is from 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The gospel lesson is from Luke 7, 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table, in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who, and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed five hundred denarii, and the other fifty. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered him, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning to, toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who are at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord.
right, it's really nice to be here with you at Lincoln Square. We've known Chad and Jody from before Lincoln Square was birthed. <laughs> so uh, it's really nice to be here to minister uh, God's word among you. This uh, fall, you've been in a series that's revolved around the theme of being known and loved. And you've been looking at scenes of shame and how God addresses it. When we think about shame, it's been part of human existence ever since Adam and Eve were hiding in the garden. But also from the very beginning, right around the corner of shame has always been a God who calls out and says, where are you? He's a God who has promised to defeat evil and shame He's a God who sees our shame and clothes us in our nakedness. Now, there are many moments of shame throughout the story of Israel. Yeah, our passage speaks to the moment that's probably the most shameful era in the history of the entire Old Testament. You see, God had promised Israel that they would be a great nation He'd promised that this nation would dwell in a land of milk and honey. God had promised that there would always be a ruler on the throne from David's house. God had even promised that his presence would be there in their midst in the temple. But God made it clear as well that for them to have those blessings, they were gonna need to obey his commandments. And now by the start of the sixth century BC, Judah's rebellion against God had just culminated to such a point that the unthinkable would take place. God has allowed Babylon to ravage the land of milk and honey. He's allowed Babylon to conquer Israel. He's allowed for the king from the line of David and many citizens of Jerusalem be, to be taken away into Babylon, into exile. He's allowed his very temple to be burnt to the ground. So that once glorious city of Jerusalem is now the object of mocking by its neighbors. The temple of Solomon, where God's glory cloud had once filled, is now ruins. God's people are left living in the midst of those ruins or even taken into exile. There's no king on the throne of David. They'd be ashamed of their sin that has brought things to this point. They'd be ashamed because when they look around, they're losers militarily. They're ashamed because now they're surrounded by people who've proven to be more powerful than they are, and they are reeling spiritually. In verse 27 of chapter 40, we're, we're, we'll be looking at the first 11 verses. Look at what they're asking. These people are saying, my way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. They feel as if God has abandoned them, that God was done with them, that God's not seen their hardship. And in the midst of the shame and doubt, God speaks to them through our passage today. You have 11 verses in your bulletin, and I'll only be preaching from the first half, but we'll read um, all uh, 11 of these words that God speaks to that shame. 
He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what should I cry? All flesh is grass, all its beauties like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Why don't we pray as we ponder this passage this morning. Father, we come to you through your son, Jesus, we're all coming from such different spaces in our lives. We pray that you would meet us all where we're at through your word. And I pray especially for those who are keenly aware of their shame this morning, that you might open their hearts to receive your gospel comfort this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I've not read the book, but I've seen the movie. Uh, Hunger Games, and in the Hunger Games, you enter this really dire situation where the nation of Panem is broken up into a bunch of miserable districts. And these districts are subject to President Snow. And President Snow rules from the capital, and really, he rules just for the benefit of the capital. And there's a scene where President Snow talks to some of the other rulers and leaders about a growing concern about Katniss Everdeen. Katniss is beginning to be this symbol of hope among all the districts. And he says this, he says, hope, it's the only thing stronger than fear. Then he sets out to snuff out any sense of hope. And I think, although this passage is about shame, I think God keenly knows that hope is a tremendous source for overcoming shame. And some of us might be tempted towards viewing God a lot like President Snow, a God who wants to like keep us in control by constantly holding our shame over us. 
But what we see in Isaiah 41 to 11 is that this could, that could not be further from the truth. Our God is serving up this huge dose of hope as a remedy for shame in this passage. I'll be drawing out two kind of points related to how this hope is serving as a remedy to the shame of the people. And in the first two verses, this sort of, uh, what we find is God kind of galvanizing a group of people and saying, I want you to go proclaim to my people that judgment for sin is in the past. Look at the first verse here. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Those two words, comfort, comfort, are plural commands. And what God is doing, he's saying, whoever's hearing this, I want you to go out and bring comfort. I want to mobilize a group of people to go out and bring comfort. God is not leaving his people in shame. Instead, he cares so deeply about them that he wants to mobilize people to go out and bring a word of comfort to this people. I remember when I was first a youth pastor, I was having my first moment in a hospital room where someone was dying. And after Dave took his last breath, here I was in my early mid-20s, sitting in the back of the room quietly, and the family summoned me over. This, his sister said, we need you. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay. Let's bring that hope. And what God is doing here is saying, I want you to bring comfort. I want you to bring comfort. And notice how he describes who's going to receive that comfort. I know in baptism here at, at Lincoln Square, you'll hear what's called the covenant formula, which recurs throughout scripture, which is this, I will be your God and you will be my people. And what this people would have been worried about at this time, where they see no tangible evidence that they are any longer his people, they would be wondering, maybe we've blown it with oh, so much of our sin, and maybe God is just through with us. And what God is saying is comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. He remains their people no matter how many other gods they had gone and worshipped, no matter how many ruins they are living among. He remains their people and he wants to bring them comfort. As it goes on into verse 2, he says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry out to her, this continual call to speak to his people. And what are they to speak? First, that her warfare is ended. Jerusalem had been through siege after siege, first through Assyria and then through Babylon. Her walls are turned down, her temple is burnt. And what God wants them to know is that era of warfare is done. And what is more, that proclaim to her, comfort her with her news that her iniquity is pardoned. 
Now in ancient Israel, when God made a covenant with his people, in Leviticus 26, you read that God had warned his people that if their sin gets to a great enough height, that they would have to make satisfaction for their sin through punishment of exile. They would bear the judgment of their sin by going into exile so that their iniquity could be amended for. And what God is saying to his people, the punishment that I had to bring upon you has come to an end. Your iniquity is pardoned. No more is that being held over you. And what is more, it says, and tell her that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, does this mean that God is unfair, that he's like kind of given more than they deserve, double for what they deserve? No, this is just an expression like we would say, you've received more than your fair share. This is God wanting this beleaguered people to know, I know how hard it's been. I know the shame you've experienced. And God wants to call on whoever will hear this to take the word to his people that their judgment for their sins is in the past. Now if this could be a word to those in exile, how much more for us in Jesus Christ? In the gospel reading that Lucy read so well, it snaps for Lucy, that's really good. Um, we see Jesus encountering this woman. And Jesus takes on the role of those being called to bring comfort. And as people are ridiculing her, he points and says, look, she's loved much because she's been forgiven much. And he turns to her and says, your sins are forgiven. And we need to hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Speak that under our hearts. Your sins are forgiven. And that we also think here, whereas forgiveness for sin was being announced to Israel after they've experienced judgment for their own sin, what we find in Jesus is that we receive forgiveness after he experiences judgment for our sin. And what we should see in our Lord Jesus is this comforting news, your sins are forgiven. Judgment for your sin is in the past. And so as we think about responding to this word here, we're called to be those who our brothers and sisters can hear the words of Jesus come through our lips. I heard this for the first time when I was in sixth grade. There's this guy named Ken Mentz, a very humble servant of the Lord. After a hayride in October, sat me down with a group of others and as he spoke, I realized for the first time how deeply under judgment for sin I was, but then came to see this glorious news that Jesus died for that sin 
and I put my faith in Jesus, and I felt like I could jump over a cloud, after, or over a car, probably not a cloud, but um, af, after that news, there was just such comfort from that. Weekly here at church, you need to hear an assurance for your forgiveness after you've confessed your sin. You need the body and the blood poured out that reminder, that proclamation of comfort, that judgment is in the past. And we need to be those who are willing to speak that to one another. Wonder if anyone in here is just haunted by certain sins, or perhaps you look around you and you see the consequences for your sins and your family, and your job, you're constantly aware, you need to hear. Judgment for that sin is in the past. Receive that comfort. So if we think of lives of shame, in order to kind of see how God's addressing it, one way we see this is helping us see that what the way things have been in the past of under judgment for sin is gone. We now live in a new era of comfort. But the second aspect I think we'll bring out from verses three to five relates to having been kind of forgiven for our sin. It's now it's time to prepare in hope for the return of our God. So sometimes we feel so wrapped up in our shame that we think no one would ever want to spend time with us, let alone God. But for Isaiah, the gospel of God is not simply that your sins are forgiven. The gospel of God is that in God himself is gonna come for you and be with you. So in verse three, we read a voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert for a highway for our God. So of course this means we all need to go to Burning Man next summer and go out into the desert and prepare a pathway and a highway there, right? No, okay, um, no. God doesn't need an actual literal highway to travel on, and we don't have to go to a literal wilderness to respond to this passage. Throughout Isaiah, wilderness is a metaphor for ruins. Jerusalem becomes a wilderness when she is brought low, when her, she is destroyed. And so what Isaiah is saying is, in the midst of the ruins, in the midst of what seems like everything is falling apart, in the midst of our homes, in the midst of our schools, in the midst of Lincoln Square, in the midst of our churches, we need to prepare. We need to prepare a highway for our God to come back on and what this is pointing to, as John the Baptist modeled, is a call to prepare the people of God to remove whatever might be in their hearts 
that would be standing between them and God. One of the great temptations of the people in this time of Isaiah was they're struggling by turning to other idols. They're, they're, they're thinking maybe these other gods are stronger than ours because we've been defeated. The people around us seem to be thriving as they worship these other gods. Maybe we need to do that because maybe our God has just given up on us. What Isaiah is saying is no. Not only are you to proclaim comfort, you're also to call one another to prepare and we see the coming of God in the person of our Lord Jesus as John the Baptist was that voice in the wilderness preparing the way for the Lord as the preparing for the very coming of God himself. But what we find in the coming of Jesus is just a taste of another coming when he is gonna come again where he'll come a lot more like what you see in verses 9 to 11, which I kind of call the Heisman Trophy coming of God, where with one arm he is coming with recompense, the other arm he's gathering his flock gently in his arms. And as we're waiting, we take on this voice of preparing for the Lord. Because we see in verse 4, that every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. So you see valleys lifted up, mountains made low. The idea here is God, everything is gonna be flattened. Now, it's not that God just loves places like Illinois, which is the second flattest state in the country. Um, Florida is number one by the way. Um, no, the idea here is that this leveling will make it impossible to hide and will make it impossible to miss the coming of God. For we see in verse five, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know, the glory of God which led his people out of Egypt and then brought his people to Sinai and dwelt on Mount Sinai and then the glory cloud of God which filled the tabernacle and then later led his people through the wilderness and then filled the temple. That very glory of God had departed from the temple as Ezekiel had told us. And God's people are being reminded, your God is not done for you. He is going to come for you. And when he comes, everyone is gonna see it. Now we intuitively know what it's like to prepare for someone to come. When Katie's dad comes to visit, we prepare by making a list of things for him to fix around our house. <laughs> I do not have the handyman gift, though YouTube has been very helpful. If we're having a birthday party for a kid, we prepare for those who are coming. But we'd prepare differently if Queen Elizabeth, while she was alive, were coming. When she came to Dallas back in the 90s, they had 150 Boy Scouts to greet her at the airport. There was a red carpet with the mayor there. They greeted her with a bouquet. Huge receiving line. 
She's taken to the most fancy hotel in Dallas. There's a Dallas symphony that's put on just for her. And the women even sported hats that were Queen Elizabeth style. And their parting gift to her were red alligator cowgirl boots with the shape of Texas on the um, sole of the, the boot. You see, the, these sorts of preparations are made in advance because there's a promise of hope. People living in shame who embrace the truth that judgment's passed, I don't need to be scared about God's coming. And so I am going to welcome this God by being prepared in my heart to see him, by calling others to prepare spiritually to see him. And what we see is that this glory that was promised to Israel to come indeed did come. God came for Israel. And we saw that in the face of Jesus Christ in whom the glory of God was revealed. But we too wait for this greater coming. We wait to see his glory. So in Isaiah 40, we meet a God who's not at all like President Snow. He's not saying, hey, stay in your shame. There's no hope for you. This is a God who says, I want you to take a word to my people who think I've forgotten them, who think there's no hope for them because maybe they wouldn't believe it on their own unless others were telling them. I want you to tell them that their judgment for their sin is in the past and that I'm gonna return and call for them to prepare and hope because I will come again. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Please stand with us and we'll sing together.
Almighty God, at your command, all things came to be, and you continue to sustain all things by your power. Yet you are near to us, though we have rebelled against you. Your mercy never fails, and you have promised that nothing can separate us from your love. Therefore, we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Having heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. Uh, thank you, Andy, for bringing us to God's word. And Andy brought us to this idea again about the realities of shame that all of us know um, and the power of hope. Um, but it's also worth acknowledging, right, that in our shame that we are tempted, all of us, to, f to choose the path of hiding. That one way of dealing with our shame is to hide, to seek some type of covering. But hope is something different than that. Hope is the possibility of being seen and known and loved by God. God's word invites us into that hope and so does the table that God sets for his family. This table is a table of hope, not one of hiding. And it's important for us to hear that as we gather each week to, to remember that this is this, a gift that God gives us in which he proclaims the, the message of hope that we were on our own, that we had kind of lost our own way, covered in shame, seeking to, to hide, but he sought us and pursued us, taking hold of us and bringing us back into his family. That God in his great love announces through this table that we are his people and that he is our God and that our place in his family is by his grace from beginning to end. That we have a place at the family meal of God because of Christ's work for us, because of his great love for us. So as we receive this broken bread and this, this cup, they remind us that God sees us, but God pursues us. He pursues us in his love and invites us to a table of grace that we would know the hope of being known, the hope of being forgiven, the hope of being reminded that we belong to God. This is what this table proclaims. If that is who you are, if you are a follower of Christ and have found your hope in him, then come and eat and drink. If you're not yet a follower of Christ and you don't know that hope, then let this table be an invitation, a witness to you that there's something other than hiding in this world. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you for this table. Thank you for this bread and cup, and we pray that you set them apart and that by your spirit you'd meet us, that you would nourish us and strengthen us, that you would speak to us again words of comfort, that we're not alone, that you have pursued us in your of steadfast love, and that we are united to you now and forever through the grace of Christ. Let us receive these and hold these dear. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, on the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. If you are participating in communion this morning, I invite you to come down the center aisle and receive the bread and the cup, and you can go back on the sides. If you're able, I ask that you'd hold the elements since everyone's been served, that we can eat and drink as one family. If you're not participating in communion today, we're, we're glad that you're here, and I invite you to come forward as well. Just put your arm across your chest, and Pastor Brian and I can offer a prayer of blessing for you here at the table. Those who are serving can come forward at this time, and let us come and receive the gifts that God has for his people.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. And Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. In response to this table, I invite you to stand, that we can pray and confess and sing as God's people together. Lord Jesus Christ, you are our true rest and shelter. Let us rest in your grace and promise of life as we proclaim the mystery of faith. join together in confession, confessing the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, we're going to continue our time of worship through uh, giving our offering to God. This is a chance for us to remember God's generosity to us and respond uh, in giving so I invite the greeters to come forward. Uh, there's a gray basket you can put your um, communion cup in and then a silver offering plate if you'd like to, to give a gift. Uh, you can also give offering, uh, you can see in your order of worship through the church's website, there's a way to give online if you would like to do that. Um, but I also just wanna take a moment to say uh, welcome again, especially if you're visiting. Uh, we're glad that you're here and joined us, uh, had a chance to worship together. Uh, there is a black information pad on the, uh, the the chair furthest out on the row, um, the outside, outside row. If you are sitting kind of on the, away from the center aisle on the outside, I invite you to pick that up. Uh, you can fill it out and pass it down towards the center. Uh, you can know who you're worshiping with. And also then if you'd like to uh, share your information with the church, uh, Pastor Brian and I'd be happy to follow up and tell you more about uh, LSPC. So that's, uh, those are available on the outside uh, of the aisles. Uh, also just a reminder that after the service, we have a time of coffee and bagels uh, right behind me in the hallway. Uh, there'll be coffee and bagels there, the hospitality table. So I encourage you to stay after, chance to grab some coffee and grab something to eat. Um, we can talk in the hallway, or if you want to enjoy the, the playground or the grounds of the school, I can do that as well. Um, let's continue to worship through the giving of our gifts to God.
please stand with us for the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Receive God's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. You may go in peace.